ever feel pulled in multiple directions at once, never quite having the energy to achieve all that you want? This podcast is all about helping leaders be human, not superhuman, mastering energy, not just managing time. I'm Ian Brown, and I help leaders improve their personal energy, be more creative, and become the catalyst to spark more energy in those they lead being more productive without working harder or longer so you get to spend more time with the things and people you love. From days that drift to days with design and purpose, welcome to the Energy Leader Podcast. Welcome back. Today's podcast episode begins with a little story. After dinner, the weather being warm, We went into the garden and drank tea, under the shade of some apple trees. He told me he was just in the same situation as when formerly the notion of gravitation came into his mind. It was occasioned by the fall of an apple, as he sat in contemplative mood. Why should that apple always descend perpendicularly to the ground, thought he to himself. You know who we're talking about? Yup. At school, we were all told the story of Isaac Newton. He sat one day under the shade of an apple tree, and at one point the apple fell on his head, and he more or less instantly discovered and was able to identify that the moon isn't falling to the earth and the earth isn't falling into the sun, and in short articulate the theory of gravity that rests with us today. Marvellously convenient, except, of course, it's not really true. It's got a grain of truth with an awful lot of embellishment to it. The quote that I read at the beginning of the podcast came from William Stukeley's biography of Isaac Newton, and it recalls the two of them being prompted into a discussion of gravitation because of an observation of an apple falling from a tree. And gradually, because we all love a good story, we shift from someone who was already curious and observing activities in the field of nature and gravity to a strange notion where being bombarded with apples somehow triggers the brain to conceive of one of the most fundamental laws of physics. I'm sure as a kid, I genuinely believed that it was the apple falling on his head that prompted his brain somehow to just discover gravity. Another of my childhood school favourites was the concept of Archimedes' principle. Now, thanks to Mr Jones in 4F in my primary school, we were vividly treated to a picture of Archimedes deciding to take a bath. Picture the sage and wisely Archimedes tugging on his probably wise and sage long beard and improbably climbing into a Victorian roll-top bath. And someone will be able to explain to me why textbooks always have ancient Greek sages climbing into a 19th century bath, but that's by the way. As the story goes, Archimedes climbs in and notices the water rising, and is semi-instantly embodied with the wisdom of water displacement theory. And then, of course, as every school kid enjoys, He ran naked through the streets of ancient Greece shouting Eureka, except that didn't happen either. What we do know is Archimedes was attempting to solve a challenge set by the king to understand whether a crown he'd been given was real gold or not, and water displacement helped him to be able to determine density of metals and therefore whether the crown was the real deal or not and a Victorian roll-top bath was likely not part of the story at all. 
What I love about both these stories, except for a reminisce around my perhaps slightly doubtful education in my early years, is that both stories attract us because of what David Burkus calls the Eureka myth. The Eureka myth implores us to believe that creativity happens suddenly and instantly and from nowhere. If we're not creative, then it's just we've not been in the right place at the right time. Nothing can be further, as we know, from the truth. The Eureka myth is tempting to absolve us of responsibility to accept that we need to work towards creativity, but more critically, it disrespects the concept of rigorous knowledge and craft as part of the creativity process. Take Newton, for example. We don't know truly from Stukeley's diary how far Newton had already got in his conceptual understanding of gravity, but we know in his account that they were in the garden discussing conceptual gravitational forces already. The falling apple was just an illustration. In other words, he was already exploring and researching before the apple fell. And most likely his brilliantly scientific brain did a lot of further research to be able to articulate the theory, turn it into models, persuade his peers of the time that it was true, and establish the notion that we accept today. It was far from instantaneously just about an apple dropping on someone's head. The Eureka myth insults Newton because it tempts us to believe that the fate of a falling apple created an understanding of gravity, not through the hard work and research that Newton put in before and afterwards. Similarly with Archimedes, even if we accept the Victorian roll-top bath story, it's extremely unlikely that no one had ever noticed when you put a large object in a bowl of water, the water level rises. But it was Archimedes who took the observation and the curiosity that step further, to turn something that others saw into something that we could be curious about, into something that we can now understand. So creativity thrives on expertise and curiosity, and you need a solid craft in order to riff. Let's get up to more modern times and take jazz musicians. The ability to improvise so effortlessly comes from years of deep, hard and long practice. An accomplished understanding of the musicality and the instrument being played. When we think of the great jazz musicians as creative geniuses, we are very prone to ignore the years of labour that went into perfecting their craft. It didn't just happen because they were hit on the head by a falling instrument. Take the gifted dancers of our age, who've been studying and rehearsing day after day to ensure they have the athletic stamina and flexibility and craft to turn their bodies into accompanying musical instruments. That the best performers look effortless on the dance floor is a tribute to the deep craft and years of practice. Now, fortunately for us all, in the 18th century, French mathematician Jules-Henri Poincaré set out four stages of creativity, and we can still learn from these today. So here are the four for you in order. Stage one is preparation. In preparation, you delve into the problem. You gather up as much insight as you can and really breathe in mud. It's uncertainty and we have to deal with it. Stage two in the creative process is incubation. So incubation purports that after soaking up the knowledge, 
you need to walk away and resume your daily activity. Incubation involves then reflecting on what you've learned against what you continue to experience and draw conclusions from the new inspirations that arise organically through this process. Stage three is lighting, which is the moment these concepts and ideas percolate through and start to solidify in the shape of one clear concept in your mind, a revolutionary idea or a concept on the subject. This process is called lighting. And stage four is execution because no idea is of any use unless someone is able to take it forward and make it happen. And this takes persistence through the process of trial, error and refinement until the idea is fully conceived. So step one, preparation. Step two, incubation. Step three, lighting. Step four, execution. In 1968, Spencer Silver, working for the 3M company, was tinkering with glue, professionally we should add, but unable to come up with a glue that would stick, not much use to anyone perhaps, until Art Fry, a colleague and chemical engineer who worked alongside Silver, contemplated whilst in his church choir the challenge of holding down bookmarks without damaging the Holy Bible. The idea through incubation came to a lighting moment of what if we created a bookmark that could be inserted into things, taken out, repositioned without damaging the page. And so the removable bookmark was created. It turned out there wasn't actually that much demand for removable bookmarks outside of church choirs, so the idea sat around for a while. Until one day, Fry needed to add a note to a report up to a supervisor. Instead of writing a memo, he reached for his removable sticky paper and wrote the question on it. By return, he got another removable sticky with the answer, and with the short order, the post-it note was taking off at 3M. So you see, the eureka myth of creativity is tempting, but it leads us down an unhelpful path, because it tempts us into ignoring the fact that behind creativity lies a depth of accomplished knowledge and insight. It entices us to consider that, as well as conceiving an idea, the rest of the hard miles are somehow achieved on our behalf as if it was by magic. It creates the risk that if we don't succeed with the first idea we have, or we can't get there quick enough, then the whole thing is a waste of time. And most importantly, it paints a picture of creativity as something that happens to some people and remains out of the grasp of everyone else. The Eureka myth of creativity also ignores the fact that most creativity and innovation is in fact incremental and additive to what's already there. It comes not out of nowhere, as Eureka would have you believe. Instead, it comes from studying the as-is and figuring out how to build and improve on it. The world divides itself between devotees of Apple's iOS devices and Android devices, If we look at the design of latest handsets coming out, the innovation is often found within the usability of the operating system and in things like the cameras. Designers are innovating based on insight around how the usability can be made better, and as we create and consume more video content than ever, how a device you can still hold in your hand can make incremental improvements to achieving the results people see and expect from professional film. Imagine how annoying it would be if every time Apple invented a new operating system, 
the entire structure of the phone, the way it operated and every button changed because Apple had decided to be innovative and not actually additive to what they already had. These innovations and examples of creativity that we all admire and enjoy have come not from a eureka moment, but from careful study of the as-is and what consumers will find easier, cheaper, faster, more efficient, and altogether better. And what can you do with this insight? Well, it's another plank in my argument that everyone in your organization, including you as the leader, can be creative and creativity is not something to be locked into a silo in your organization. Sure, there are people who exhibit more natural tendency to be creative. So why not figure out how you can propagate this energy instead of locking it away in a temple of creativity? The Eureka myth holds that incremental improvement is all around us, but in order to start, we need to have the skills to observe our environment. And that's your starting point with cultivating creativity within your organization. Using the power and insight of the crowd, who really know their environment better than you, to inspire you to make the experience better. Open the doors, sponsor the change, and you're well on your way to transforming into a more creative and innovative organization. If you're an expert in anything, and expertise is all relative, you can choose to plant your own apple tree. I can't promise you the fame of Isaac Newton, but I do promise you that new discoveries are out there, just waiting for you to find them. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Energy Leader Podcast. Why not subscribe so that new episodes are streamed straight to your device? And I'd love it if you'd be kind enough to leave me a review and tell others what you've been up to and what you're learning. To get more help with your time management, productivity, and energy, why not check out the website at www.theenergyleader.com, where you'll find more resources to help you be an energetic leader and still have time to spend on the things and the people that you love. Stay strong and make it happen. And I'll see you next time on the Energy Leader Podcast.